Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Small Talk No More. My name is Alex and today I've got the pleasure to be talking to Toby Williams, music supervisor at Leland Music. Hello, Toby. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for making time to speak today. Pleasure. Um, so, Toby, would you like to kick it off and explain you know, who Toby is and also what your experience is? Sure. Um, so, I'm a music supervisor at Leland Music. Um, and we're a independent music supervision agency. Um, we're working across film, TV, and advertising brand campaigns. Um, and I suppose the quickest way of describing what we do is that we find or create or license music for our clients um, to use in their visual output. So that could be a filmmaker or an advertising agency or a brand mm-hmm. or a production company. Cool. Okay. Um, and so what uh, takes you to, to, to Leland? How, what was the journey of someone becoming a music supervisor? Um, for me, it was a background in record labels. I worked for um, Defected Records and a few other labels that kind of operated under it as an umbrella company, if you like, for, for a few years. And I was working um, on their licensing and synchronization. So essentially pitching their catalogue to filmmakers and brands um, and um, then made the jump to the other side, to music supervision. It must be seven or eight years ago now. Okay. Um, Actually, so before we do this Q&A game to start, you've actually gone from representing catalogue to not representing catalogue. So what what has been the difference there? Um, what, What do you think is the key differentiator between having a catalogue that you need to play compared to, you know, having brand new music for a particular pitch? Well, the big difference, I suppose, is the scope in that previously at the label, I was, you know, representing a particular catalogue or catalogue, sorry. Um, Whereas now as an independent supervision agency, we aren't attached to any particular catalogue or, you know, publisher or label. Um, So... Um, I suppose variety is the is the simplest distinction between the two. Um, ultimately, we're trying to service the same clients, um, mm-hmm. although previously I've been one step further removed. Cool. I just found it really interesting the fact that you know you move from you know having certain songs that you need to pitch mm. compared to now having you know the ability to actually have brand new music for every single brief which i found really interesting so you know every every interview always starts with a quick q a uh so then we get to learn a bit more about um toby as a person so are you are you ready to start a uh, quick game i'm ready let's do it sweet okay so a couple of questions number one is what's your favorite song or album the big question um just because i happen to hear a track from this earlier on today um i'm gonna go with d'angelo's voodoo um which um arrived at a really important time for me i suppose i must have been like 16 17 years old and it was quite unlike anything else that my naive teenage ears had been into Mm. before um 
Uh, and it really did sort of open up doorways for me and, and, you know, lead me on to other styles. And I love the way that it, you know, it's such a physical record and it's full of bravado, but it's really sensitive at the same time. And when it really gets to its feet, particularly after the singles, which come earlier on in the album, it's got this almost like trance, like, um, transcendental kind of feeling to the grooves, almost Mm -hmm. improvisational. And I listen to it all the time still. Cool. Okay. Um, and so, you know, talking about artists, what's an artist that you would like to work, uh, you would love to work with? There are so many. Um, I suppose in the real world, I'd love to work with, you know, I love artists like Floating Points or Tim Hecker, who already operate in our world to an extent and I've just not had the opportunity to. But um, otherwise, it's just heroes, isn't it, really? You know, someone mm-hmm. like... Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth or um, I was really into that really long-winded guitar music from the mid-2000s like Mogwai and Godspeed and things like that so someone like Ephraim Menuk from Godspeed Your Black Emperor would be incredible but I understand he takes a dim view of film of uh, using his music (laughs) in film so I'll probably be waiting on that one for quite a while. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so talking about favorites um, what's uh, your favorite project that you've worked on? Um, a couple of recent ones. Um, last year, I worked on a campaign for Samsung, um, which uh, what they wanted to do was was brief an artist to create a, a, a new piece, a new song um, based on uh, a photo that was um, uh, crowdsourced from Samsung customers and using their phone cameras. Um, and so we worked with Sam Henshaw, um, who wrote a song, and then we engaged with a director to make make a music video. Um, and it was just a you know a complete from the ground up building of this new song and visual according to a brief supplied by a brand or their customers. Um, and um, I suppose in the on the film or TV side of things, then um, Top Boy, which I think may, must have nice. come out maybe a, a year or 18 months ago. And um, just such a perfect time for a show like that, um, hmm. given how fertile the UK rap and associated genres world is at the moment. Um, it's a really exciting time for British music because of that world, I think, at the moment. And um, it was an op- opportunity to do a deep dive into it for a few months, which yeah. was a lot of fun. Okay. No, that sounds really cool, actually. Um, so let's move on with uh, a few more questions. So what's your least favourite superhero? Least favourite superhero? I'm not a very <laughs> superhero person, to be honest. I'm not totally educated on this subject, but um, I've always found... Batman a little bit troubling because um, <laughs> he's just a kind of um, womanizing billionaire beating up troubled outliers. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. some sympathy for all of his enemies. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I think that that sort of superhero must be really high on, I don't know, some sort of drug. Because mm-hmm. if you're, you've got life in the day and then one in the evening, mm. nah. I don't trust you, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, live. Exactly. <laughs> okay, no, I think that's a fair point. So you find Batman troubling. Um, cool. <laughs> so uh, a bit of advice. So if you could give 
your 20 year old self a piece of advice, what would that be? Um, I think just that you can be um, confident and curious at the same time, you know, and just to ask more questions um, and that it's okay to be naive. Um, and that on the whole, I think that people are really welcoming of curiosity and, you know, mm -hmm. enthusiasm. And so it would be to not hesitate in, in, you know, reaching out and asking people who have an established understanding of where it is that what I want to get to. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. So um, let's wrap up the game with the final question, which is what's the best thing about being a music supervisor? Um, well, I think it's quite straightforward, really. I get to listen to music all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you know what? Having like one foot in music and one foot in film is such a pleasure because I'm neither a musician nor a filmmaker, and yet I um, get to spend my days being um, quite close to both of those processes, which is a mm -hmm. real privilege. Okay. Here you are bragging about the fact, oh, I get paid for listening to music and for watching movies. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> what was your opinion with the electronic music being used for sync? Because there's been like a lot of like both sides of the picture where, you know, electronic music is, you know, too complicated to place. But then you've got Monster Cat that's absolutely rocking it mm. with everything to do with the game side of things. Mm. Um, so... What's your opinion there? Is, is electronic music a syncable style or do you think that, you know, it's a bit more difficult? Well, I, I don't think that there is... Um, I mean, I struggle with that term kind of syncable, you know what I mean? I, th I think that there are opportunities for every kind of music. It's always just completely yeah. contingent on the projects that we're working on and the creative and the personnel, I suppose, and their tastes. Um, electronic music's always going to have a... Um, uh, it's going to be close to my heart, you know. I'm mm -hmm. still um, really interested in it and, and listen to it. I suppose the, the struggles with it can be that by its nature, it relies on repetition and kind of slowly revealing itself over, a, you know, I'm not talking about like pop EDM, but like electronic, you know, quality electronic yeah. music. And sometimes you don't have time to do, to have that dynamic, particularly if it's yeah. a 60 second ad or something like that. Having said mm -hmm. that, I think you see more and more, particularly in the scoring world, of it kind of having a crossover with that electronic sensibility. Do you know what I mean? And particularly in the last however many years when you've got composers coming from that world and it feels like such a natural step for someone like Mika Levy, for instance. Do you know what I mean? Or uh, any number of electronic, previously electronic producers moving into that film world because there are similarities in in you know in the subtlety of it you know mm -hmm. and the way that the music behaves and its character um so what was your question <laughs> yeah so uh, you know basically talking about if um electronic music is syncable but i do i think you've raised a really interesting point one of my favorite film composers junkie mm. xl yeah um you know yeah, he was a DJ. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Hans Zimmer collaborating with Skrillex. Exactly. So yeah. it's like, um, absolutely agree. It's the yeah. fact that, um, you know, the, the good um, electronic music producers are able to kind of, um, you know, move in, in a direction that it can be more of a, 
you know, a wider experience, not, not just a three minute or four minute mix, but, you know, doing mm. something that could be more of a score yeah. uh, type of track, essentially, and, and, and yeah. do like a full composition. Yeah. Um, and I think I that's also, really interesting. Yeah. I'd also say that the, the particularly in the ad world and with brands and stuff, it, it does tend to follow on from um, like popular taste. And, you know, over the last 10 years or so, you've seen electronic music really take center stage in pop music. Artists like Closure or, you know, a Rihanna record is basically a house record or something. Do you know what I mean? And so I think Mm. that becomes more um, of an approachable sound. Then undoubtedly, sync interest is going to follow. Do you know what I mean? Just because it it starts to feel like it's a more... um, uh, sort of everyman style. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, w- without doubt, the, the electronic producers, I wouldn't, I don't really make the distinction really. It just depends what sort of um, project it is that's on my desk on that particular day. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's really interesting actually. And, um, you know, how about in terms of, um, now that we're talking about styles and, you know, the way that, you know, electronic music producers, can move on to, you know, something different. Mm. Um, do you think that, you know, music creators should have that sort of flexibility when it comes to style or should they be quite focused on something? So say, for example, if you're a composer, orchestral composer, you should just stick to mm. doing briefs that are going to be orchestral. Mm. Or if you're a, you know, pop EDM producer, then you should stick to making pop EDM tracks to have a library ready to send off. Or what, mm. what do you think? Well, flexibility is certainly an advantage for a composer, I think, um, yeah. just to be able to respond to that kind of shifting of styles because usually sort of the briefing process and the creative process is rarely just cut and dry like we want this and, and you know, creating that thing. There's always a story to tell, kind of like leading a client you know, between styles or around them or, you know, trying different things. Having said that, I definitely always find my attention grabbed by um, a composer or, you know, a producer or whatever who has a definitive style and an expertise Mm. in a particular field. And I just mean a kind of, you know, first point of contact, the introduction. I love to hear something which I think which feels like a real sort of niche speciality for that person. Um, and, you know, nobody can be the expert in, ev- in everything. And so to find those people who really excel in a certain corner of, st- certain stylistic corner, I think is really exciting. But that's certainly not to completely ignore the benefit of flexibility. Um, yeah. That's, you know, certainly a really helpful thing to have. Hmm. No, absolutely. And um, I think that you've raised a really interesting point as well, which is, um, you know, something that's unique about someone. So um, in this case, is it more about you reaching out to composers, producers that you already know, mm. or do you try and keep as well a flexibility in terms of trying to find something that will be completely new, you've not worked with before, and, you know, the sound is just, you know, something that you f- personally feel that will fit something. So mm. is there is there some sort of flexibility in terms of working with someone trying to find that particular sound or is it quite limited when it comes to contacting composers? Certainly the latter. Um, we, we, um, we rely on a constantly evolving network of collaborators. 
Um, and while there, there's always going to be, you know, your safe pair of hands or, you know, your really familiar um, composers or, you know, artists or whatever, um, it's part of our day-to-day to be building on that and understanding more about who's out there and who's interested. There's, you know, people that will be seasoned in advertising or film or TV or whatever that we're just not familiar with and, you know, and and we should be. And then equally, there'll be people who are just making their first steps into working to picture. Um, And yeah, you know, as a music supervisor, you only as strong as as the network that you've been able to build and continue to build upon. Mm -hmm. And so what would you say um it's important when when working with someone is is the entire package important so I, i'm not sure if i asked you this question the other day but mm. um is it is it about the creative only saying you know the composition is really good or is there any point in the pitching process where you need to differentiate two composers and you say look this composer stands for i don't know equal rights in in music business whilst this one is someone that is an advocate for i don't know climate change mm. um so is that does that sort of branding around the composer producer um have any sort of weighting uh in 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 the what's it called in the pitching process or is it only exclusively about pitching the song it can do yeah i mean um there's certain projects where some kind of background um, is relevant to selection process, particularly if there's a really strong thematic sort of drive behind what's being created and the reasons behind, um, you know, the the film or whatever it is. Um, And so there can be um, interest in connecting with the person with the right sort of history or the, you know, the right sort of, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, I wouldn't say it's first and foremost, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's such variety in the ways that we're briefed and, and certainly we, there have been occasions where a filmmaker might want to work with a particular person who has, who has a demonstrated experience of X or, yeah. you know, who comes from this world or, or who has an understanding of this particular thing, um, I suppose that's what makes it exciting, really, is that, you know, it, it's it's rarely as cut and dry as who's the best musician. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Important. I mean, of course, yeah, I'm guessing that if you've got horrible music, you're already yeah, <laughs> yeah. Out, out of the table. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think that uh, equally as important as sort of technical, you know, music musicianship is an ability to connect with emotion, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's the that's really at the heart of everything that we do. It's storytelling. Um, and so when we're excited about someone, it'll always be those two ingredients. Like they're an amazing player and writer, but then they also have the capability to really connect and empathize with the story. Because ultimately what we're doing is expressing a story with music. Um, and um, and that thing is trickier to teach, I guess. You know, it's quite an innate sort of personal mm-hmm. thing, quite a human thing. Um, but um, alongside an ability to, to write and play, it's certainly really crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
you, you just mentioned something that I find really interesting, which is when, you know, when you believe in someone and you think that someone is really good. So do you think that the role of a music supervisor is kind of, you know, not exclusive, exclusively about representing a product, which is a song or a composition, but more of an A&R person, whereby you truly believe in the talent of someone. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to do my best because I truly believe in this person. I'm going to, you know, work day and night to make sure that this composer, this producer, this songwriter, mm. um, in a year's time is going to be doing like huge films, or mm. huge advertisement. Um, is that is that like some sort of differentiation there, whereby you stop being a representative and more of a really personally involved in in the whole process? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it might differ from um, person to person, really. That that does this role. Um, I think representation is a tricky word for us because we're independent. So, you know, I know not every company works like this, but we don't represent a catalog. Um, and we're not affiliated with any artists, really. We have a sister company, which is a composer agency, but um, the two companies don't always work closely, you know. Mm -hmm. um, me meaning that um, I think that the, the sort of crucial drive behind what we're trying to do is to satisfy the creative and help the director or the brand, whoever it is, to mm -hmm. tell their story. Um, and so while our, our taste and opinion, you know, there has to be a s strength of volition behind our suggestions, but they're, they're purely contingent on whether or not this person or this music speaks to the creative rather than, I know that in some cases, particularly like a sync agent, for example, will be pitching a catalog that they have an agreement in place to represent. Um, so we work slightly different and are driven in, entirely by the, the creative and what it is that our client wants, whether they're a brand or a, uh, a director or, you know, a production company, whoever it may be. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now that you mentioned your, you know, that sister company, uh, do you think that it's important for a composer to be within a particular agency or do you think that there's still opportunities for those artists that don't really have a... Well, artists, composers, um, they don't really have an agent, that they don't really have a representation and they're doing everything. It's not, it's not necessary. Um, I know that certain composers prefer to be fully independent and others prefer having a team behind them. Um, in terms of the work that we do, there's a huge variety from freelancers to you know collaborating with household name artists and everything in between. Yeah. Okay. And so what, what is your, your criteria then? When you're looking for a new composer or when you're searching for composers in your database mm -hmm. um, for a particular brief, what, what is your criteria? Obviously, apart from good music, mm -hmm. um, is there anything else that, that is involved in that selection process when you say um, briefs, I guess? Yeah. I mean, if it's thinking about a specific project, then of course, musicality will be the first starting point. Um, I suppose we'll always have a little bit of background understanding about the potential collaborators on any project and an understanding of whether or not they feel comfortable in that particular wor world, you know, be it stylistically or, or emotionally. Um, and yes, you know, some history with that person is helpful, but that's not to say that we aren't always encouraging of, um, you know, first time contributors to the projects that we're 
working on. Um, again, it's just, you know, it, it's really important for us to um, be constantly building on that network. And um, yeah. there's such variety out there, isn't there? And so, you know, it's important for us to be, you know, trying to be across as much of it as we can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it going to be a good time for an independent composer or producer to get work? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be more challenging just because more people are available to do work? Um, because of the, the, the environment at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think to a certain extent, we're in a, a, a blessed position um, in our little corner of the industry. You know, we, we aren't affected in the same way that live has been, for example. Um, yeah. And so there are still lots of opportunities out there and, and definitely it's the case that um, clients and brands and whoever else are um, uh, maybe a little bit more cautious with their budget mm-hmm. at the moment. And, and also it's, it's not just about money, it's about what's appropriate when you don't know what's, you know, six months down the line is going to look like. And so mm-hmm. particularly in the advertising world, how can you communicate about your brand in a way that in six months time isn't going to feel completely inappropriate um, mm-hmm. and jarring with what's going on in the outside world at the moment. Um, having said that, you know, it, there, there's there's still lots of projects out there. There's lots of great work still being made in spite of all the restrictions and things that everyone's having to do to keep everyone safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose, you know, I'm not a musician, but I would hazard a guess that of all the professions there are out there, maybe it's one that's less impacted with having to isolate. <laughs> I know that yeah, quite a solitary existence anyway. Um, and so, um, and yeah, and beyond that, it's just such a um, amazing time for, let's say, you know, British filmmaking, you mm-hmm. know, the Netflix, Amazon boom at the moment. There's just so much great um, programming being made. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I think that there are, there are, there will continue to be opportunities, but I'm an, I'm an, I'm an optim, I'm an optimistic person. Um, so, uh, speak to me again in six months and maybe. (laughs) 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 No, I think actually, yes. Um, you just mentioned something that I do remember from last time that it was something that caught my, my, my ears essentially, which is. (laughs) The fact that you had a very positive uh, view of what's coming, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, not long ago we had um, Rishi, um, the MP, saying that musicians should start thinking about getting a new job, mm-hmm. or um, you know, we, you know, it's constant battles to to try and get support for musicians there, mm-hmm. and kind of the news have been full of bad news mm-hmm. for the industry. Um, at least for, again, you know, live sector, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Glastonbury cancelled. Mm. Um, my heart was broken about that. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's always been like, it, it seems to be the picture has been quite negative and, and I found really interesting um, the fact that you had such a positive view on, on what's to come. So um, do you think that that's also reflecting on the type of briefs that you guys are getting? Is, is there is there... Style of music change? Is there anything like, you know, 
advertising brands are looking for uh, something that's a bit more, uh, I don't know, happier or, you know, mm-hmm. the mood is, is a bit more positive or, or has, you know, has the existing situation affected the type of music that certain brands or movies are, are looking for? Um, it's a really good question, actually. Um, and it's, I always find it quite difficult to speak to sort of broad uh, trends in term, in terms of music and advertising. Obviously, we're only really looking through the lens of what we work on and our clients' motivations. Um, but, and also putting to one side the immediate kind of COVID response ad of which there were so many in sort of the mm. last year. Um, and it became a little, it, it was, the, very quickly became very cliched to have a polite piano behind, you know, a politic voiceover. Um, but I think, I think, I think we're past that now. And yet, you know, brands are more often than not looking for something that has a certain amount of uplift to it. Um, and that remains the case, you know, in, in, in what's happening at the moment. And you have your more sort of adventure brands, which are, able to be a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more dangerous, you know, and that will always be the case. But then, you know, you also have ads for kind of household, everyman brands. Um, and I don't think that necessarily indicates a, a, a dip in quality at all. I think that, you know, you can speak to that kind of positivity in a really cinematic way. Um, has that answered your question? I can't remember. <laughs> yes, um, but I think that I would like you to elaborate maybe on what you mean by dangerous when brands are trying to be more dangerous. Is there a particular style that you think that's more dangerous? Uh, not long ago, let me just you know maybe elaborate on my mm. question. So um, not long ago, I had a conversation with a music supervisor friend of mine who, who said that it's still really difficult mm. to, to hear like hip-hop tracks on an mm. advert, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and it seems to be that this, you know, although there's a lot of hip hop and rap on, on games mm. and, you know, maybe on, on some sports brands. But do you think that probably that is what you mean by danger, brands going on to a dangerous yeah, route? Think or maybe dangerous wasn't the best selection of words, but just oh, okay. <laughs> I suppose that you, um, I think hip hop's a really good case in point. You know, it's so current and, uh, you know, Personally, I feel like it's it's the leading light of British music at the moment. It's the, such yeah. an exciting time for British music because of the UK um, hip-hop scene and associated yeah. styles. Um, and yeah, and with something like that, or, you know, you know, I suppose you could say the same thing about punk or, you know, various other styles of music that are occasionally quite confrontational. There are, there are brands that can, that can handle you know something that feels a little bit more yeah confrontational or or a difficult even something that's just a difficult listen um in whatever form that takes but there's a difference between doing an an ad for a a supermarket chain and a sports brand for example yeah um with the latter more likely to be a little bit punchier with their music selection um but again i don't think that necessarily means a dip in quality for the for the former for you know the household supermarket chain or whatever it is it's it's just a slightly different way of thinking mm-hmm. okay um so you know at the back of that so having that sort of variety in terms of briefs is there any any particular limitations that you regularly find is there you know whether it's on style budget is there any 
limitations that you find all the time, or at least quite frequently when, when it comes to some of these briefs? Yeah, well, I suppose the big two are budget and the artist's preferences for what kind of projects they want to be aligned with. Mm. Um, budget's always a key thing in every project, understanding of you know what sort of level of artist is attainable, but also what level of artist is desired. Um, in some cases, a brand might want a signed artist with you know a certain amount of fan base or whatever it is. But in other cases, it's not the case at all. They just want a great piece of music created by mm. whoever it is that is recommended to them. Um, so in terms of limitations and restrictions, yeah, yes, uh, money and then also the the um, we have to be have some kind of insight into what the artist or the composer or whoever what they want to do and yeah. they want to be aligned with because not everybody wants to be associated with every kind of you know ad or film or whatever it is mm -hmm. so um, that's always something that we have to negotiate at the point of selection okay um, really interesting there so um, I think that, yes, it's true that, you know, I guess it's, it's a bit difficult to get certain artists to, to want to be, um, you know, linked to a particular brand. I still remember back in the day where, you know, rock bands didn't want to do any brand partnership because, you know, mm. it was like selling their soul. But now every single yeah. rock band is doing partnerships with, you know, as soon as they can. I think times have changed so much, even in the, you know, relatively short amount of time that I've been working mm. as part of the industry. But you're, you're right. I think growing up, the idea of, any of my favourite bands have putting their music in an advertising campaign would be absolutely horrifying. But I think, mm. I think that, yeah, times have changed and, and now it's just, it can be an extra layer of creativity for them. You know, if it's the right brand and it's the right film and the right mm. people involved, then why can't it be something which is, you know, really cool and compelling? Yeah. Um, but do you think that there's still that opportunity for a composer, an artist, to still get that particular project, but, you know, sending the track under a different name. So, you know, you're not called Toby Williams, you're called, like, I don't know, producer 243, for example. Yeah, absolutely. That is a, that is a solution. I've come across that a couple of times. Um, but, of course, it's mostly relevant where the composer has some kind of public image already and an understanding yeah. in his or her fan base that this is what they sound like. And particularly if we are asking them to do something that feels slightly off brand, then a solution can be to not have their artist name attached to it. And as long as everybody's comfortable with that and the reasoning behind it, you know, on, on both sides of the transaction, then it, it can, it can be something that works for people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Okay. So um, I guess that, you know, following up on that, what would you be advising composers and songwriters? What would be your top tip for any music creators out there? Um, to not hesitate, really, in getting in touch. And I would hate it to be the case that composers felt like they didn't want to hassle, you know, music supervisors. Um we're always listening and it's crucial to us being good at what we do that we are always listening and finding new people and 
um, building on our network and um, contacts of people that we might collaborate with. And so, yeah, I think I would just advise that, you know, re- research who's out there and who does what and, and how the industry works um, and, um, and, get, and get in touch and, f- and follow up. You know, if people aren't replying straight away, it, it may be that, you know, they've got a lot on their plate that week, but it might be different a month down the line. Um, and be excited about what you're doing, you know, and, and, and um, be interested in people who are operating in that kind of world already. You know, I'm sure if you're thinking about composing for film, then you're presumably into film and mm-hmm. you know, will have taken note of music supervisors or composers that have worked on things you like and, and demonstrating that um, understanding or, you know, that passion is, is really important. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I personally really like it when somebody has a speciality, like a, a, something quite niche and unusual that they're really good at. Mm. Um, and I find that quite exciting just because it will take me away from where I'm comfortable in my day-to-day. Yeah. Like, wow, this guy is doing this amazing thing. And um, and often like a broader conversation can build out of that starting point. Well, Toby, thank you so much. That's been super insightful. You're welcome. My pleasure. And um, yeah, that's the end of our show. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. My name is Alex, and this is Small Talk No More. We'll see you again next week.